The 2021 college football season is finally here. It's been an incredible preseason for CFB Winning Edge. We've broken records for downloads and listens of the CFB Winning Edge podcast and are recently surpassed a milestone of 100 Patreon supporters. Our Patreon supporters help keep this show ad-free and also help fund all the off-season improvements and updates, including our 2021 FBS team profiles, statistical projections, CFF rankings, and more. We could not do it without you. Thank you and have a great season. Welcome back, everybody. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. Remember, you can follow us on the Twitter machine. I am Scott Bogman at Bogman Sports. I am joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. Xavier Trish is not here physically with us today, but he will be here on the show. You'll be able to hear his take on each of the games that we go over. But before we jump into week two action, Nick, how did we look on week one? Week one was a, a bit of a whirlwind, and it uh, feels a little weird to say that since it stretched from Wednesday to Monday. But uh, it, I guess part of the you know uh, stretched out schedule uh, kind of condensed the the in between time, and so uh, the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday after has been uh, you know feel like I've been running behind a little bit, trying to get everything caught up, make sure we're updated everywhere we're uh, supposed to be in our uh, FBS team profiles, making sure our projections are, are all lined up. Uh, but now that things are settling down a little bit, get a, a chance to go back and kind of reevaluate week one, uh, it was it was solid. It was it was probably in the four years we've done this, our best starting week from a projection standpoint. Uh, we were 26, 18 and two against the spread. We were also, oddly enough, 26, 18, and two uh, on our uh, totals, overs and unders. Uh, both of those are 59.1%. And then our all three agree uh, were uh, oddly responsible for both of those pushes on the against the spread, but were six, four, and two. So 60% on those. If, if we could maintain those uh, levels all year, I would be a, a very, very happy person. So uh, strong start. Week two early looks a little weird. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But, uh, you know, can't can't complain about uh, this starting point for us. Yeah, I mean, what we can complain about is the amount of injuries that happen week one. And it happens every week, you know, every single year. There's a ton of injuries, but we had some big players uh, go down week one. Mo Ibrahim, who had uh, Minnesota in that game against Ohio State for the entire first half and a lot of the third quarter, went down with a leg injury, and he is going to miss the rest of the season. A lot of you saw Ronnie Bell, the wide receiver from Michigan, get carted off after having a couple huge plays for them, and he is done for the year. Um, we had uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, who could be the number one pick in the NFL draft, go down with an ankle injury. He's questionable. For this weekend, we'll see if he's able to play or not. Alabama linebacker Christopher Allen went down for the year with a foot injury. Oklahoma State defensive end Trace Ford done for the year with a, an ACL tear. 
and then Memphis quarterback Grant Canell, Georgia wide receivers. Um, now, I mean, there were so many guys banged up week one. Um, now, I mean, it's no different than any other year, but recency bias makes it feel like this was an, uh, a brutal week one. Yeah, and, and to start it off with uh, Ibrahim, uh, just, you know, that, that was really, really difficult to see. He is, you know, considered among the very best running backs in college football, certainly one of the most productive over the last few years and had such a great start to the year on such a big stage against a highly ranked opponent. It was uh, really sad to see him go down and, and to be out for the, the season is, is a real, real bummer. Um, Christopher Allen's dealt with multiple season-ending injuries before his, uh, you know, from a football perspective, impact is probably a little lower than Ibrahim's, but um, certainly, you know, you hate to see somebody that has worked really hard to get back onto the field, get healthy and, and playing at a high level, uh, go down again. Uh, Ronnie Bell, you know, uh, just, just, uh, really, really difficult to see as well. He looked so great early on. I mean, yeah. that, that one handed catch where he, he caught it and committed offensive pass interference, like play didn't count, but might've been the most impressive play of the day. Uh, you know, and that, that of course me, you know, even better maybe than the, the 70 yard touchdown pass he, he hauled in, uh, that punt return that unfortunately he tore his ACL on was also pretty impressive. So, um, really hate to see anybody go down, uh, for a season ending injury, but we, we saw some big impact players and then some, you know, some people are, are, uh, nicked and bruised, and we have got plenty of questionable, doubtful uh, situations. We've tried our best to um, put all those in, in one spot, as much news as we can in our FBS team profiles. We do have an injury uh, updates portion that, that is a national page, but then we also have all the, the individual teams as well. But, you know, guys like you mentioned, Kayvon Thibodeau, we're not sure if he will play this week in, in if not the biggest game of the week, at least the second biggest. Uh, and he would have a, a big impact on that. Uh, Grant Cannell wasn't able to play last week. As you mentioned, opened the door for a true freshman to start for Memphis. That's a really interesting line uh, that we'll talk about. And then, you know, Georgia had such a big, big win, but they had a season-ending injury to a starting offensive lineman. They were really limited at the wide receiver position, a couple of their – uh, in addition to, you know, George Pickens, who's their best receiver, who we knew wasn't going to play, their arguably top two uh, other receivers, expected to be other receivers. One didn't play and one was severely limited because of lack of practice time. So uh, it's it's something that, unfortunately, as you said, we'll have to deal with every week. And it just seemed like this week we had some uh, some big names and unfortunately some um, you know, really serious injuries to, to deal with. Yeah. I mean, it, it happens every week, but you know, it being the first week, it just seems like, Oh, good Lord. There seems to be so much going on here, but, uh, let's get into week two a little bit here, Nick. And, uh, when you look across the lines, what is the one that perplexes you the most? What, what do you see and you go, what is that all about? I think one that that uh, a lot of people noticed was NC State is just a very small favorite uh, at Mississippi State, and that one 
caught me a bit by surprise as well. But I do on on uh, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, I always try to get together our, our look ahead lines our, uh, because we automatically update everything based on the team profiles where there's new uh, injury stuff that we're aware of and production points and things like that. It always has every game projected for the rest of the season. So I try to collect all the uh, following week games and give us sort of a snapshot of, of what we can look forward to. Those are not you know, set in stone. Obviously, we do that on uh, late Tuesday when we release those to our, our Patreon supporters. But uh, putting those lines together before the you know final updates, I actually had Mississippi State as a, a very slight favorite, which was a surprise because, of course, they struggled uh, a lot with Louisiana Tech. We're you know pretty fortunate to be able to overcome a, a long uh, or a, a big deficit in the second half to win that game by a single point and, and avoid a, a last-second field goal uh, from Louisiana Tech to win. But as impressive as NC State was, and it was a weak opponent in USF, but they were completely dominant. And though Louisiana Tech's probably a little better than USF, they're not, you know, the talent profiles are not much different. Um, and, and so to see one team as dominant as they were and another who was, uh, you know, as, as uh, sort of disappointing in some ways as they were uh, for a otherwise two relatively evenly matched teams, I think, from a, a talent standpoint, to see NC State when this was uh, initially released, I think it was, you know, they were favored by one maybe, uh, and it's up to two and a half now. But still, I think there are a lot of folks, based on what we saw on the field in week one, pretty surprised that NC State wasn't favored by, you know, three and a half or, or four or five, maybe even six. Uh, so that one was a, a little confusing and a little confusing when I saw Mississippi State actually favored the first run through. Well, just looking at uh, some bets here, it looks like 91% of, of um, money and bets are on NC State. So uh, I, obviously the public agrees with that one. What about um, what line do you look at? And it seems maybe a little too good to be true. In our preseason uh preview shows are our, our you know, three and a half hour long shows that we did <laughs> uh, once or twice a week uh, over the summer months. We talked a little bit in the AAC preview about Memphis as being a team that our projections are really pretty low on. And so it, it is a, a little bit of a surprise, um, but I guess it, it shouldn't be a shock that we uh, disagree with the line of, of you know, Memphis favored by five against Arkansas State this week. And our numbers aren't super high on Arkansas State, but they are uh, propped up a little bit by some talent and transfers coming in, by uh, Lane Hatcher. The quarterback is a really highly rated player um, because of his production that we've seen over the last couple of years, even though he didn't actually start the last game. It looked like he hopefully, uh, we've been saying this for two or three years now, played well enough to get that job full time. Uh, but we'll see. But anyway, you know, we actually have uh, Arkansas State favored in that game, uh, which, you know, maybe uh, that's a, a little too much uh, to have such a, a, a big difference there. But it looks pretty week, good. 
they look they look good. They've got some really really impressive receivers. Uh, they have hit the transfer portal hard on the defensive line. And then Memphis, we just talked about, you know, Gannell's not there. We weren't 100% sure what Gannell was actually going to mean for that offense if he was healthy enough to play, but they're starting a true freshman. Their running back situation is pretty much, you know, the depth chart that they released last week was basically flipped from what a lot of people expected that preseason depth chart to look like. I mean, the top, top guy on the list was – uh, you know, number five and number five was number one and, and all of that. So they're, they're definitely working through some things there. The offensive line uh, looks a bit suspect on paper. Um, and I'll admit, I didn't get a, a chance to watch other than just some very, very quick highlights of, of the game against Nichols. But, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm very curious to see uh, what this Memphis team actually looks like because we're very, very low on them. And, and so uh, perhaps it's too good to be true that a team that we have uh, favored, um, you know, gets uh, gets five points here. But last week we were four and one in those games. And that included a game that uh, Charlotte won outright as a six point underdog. So it's possible we're on to something. It's, it's possible we were just, um, you know, fortunate to, to, do so well in week one. Um, but that one, I, I am curious if that one's too good to be true. I like it, but let's go ahead and dive into the games that you and I and Xavier picked. Like I said, Xavier will be here uh, just pre-recorded. So we'll, we will get Nick's take and then I will play you Xavier's take and then we will go on to the next game. We're going to start with Xavier's first game here too. It is App State on the road at Miami. Uh, Miami is an eight and a half point favorite. The over under is 54 and a half, Nick. So who do you like in this game right here? This is a really interesting one to start with because uh, we all saw Miami and, and, you know, we talked last week about how our numbers thought Miami was going to be able to, to hang within the, the three touchdowns basically. And obviously it, it uh, proved pretty quickly that that was not, going to be the case. Alabama is just in a completely different class. So now we have to sort of figure out, is Miami as bad as they looked or is Alabama just that good? And Miami is going to be a little bit, you know, improved moving forward. Similarly, Appalachian State was a team. I think this was the the game we talked about last week as the most confusing was because our projections were all over the place, but our, our official uh, team strength projection, the one we put the most um, emphasis on, had Appalachian State as a big favorite, as like a 21-point favorite or something, um, when the line was only 10 or 11 and a half or something, and it kept moving down. I think it was in single digits by the time the game kicked off against East Carolina. And, you know, it it wasn't the most dominant performance, but uh, App State handled business and, and, you know, the first three quarters uh, looked really, really good against East Carolina. And so we're high on App State, a little higher than most. They're a top 25 team in our power ratings, which seems, you know, a bit high. I know Chase Bryce has some real question marks coming in after how poorly he played uh, for Duke last season, but he looked really good. And and they looked like they were able to stretch the field. Uh, Thomas Hennigan looks healthy. Corey Sutton is back. They've got some, you know, depth and, and talented guys at the receiver position. They've got a pretty strong running back duo and Cameron Peoples and Nate Noel. And that defense is, is 
I mean, nasty was the word I wrote down uh, as we were, you know, as, as I was watching the game and, and taking my notes in the notebook. They're flying around. They're, you know, hard hitting. So App State, I, I think, is a really, really good team. I, I think that we're, you know, not completely off base to have them as a top 25 uh, power rated team. Miami, I, I don't feel as comfortable about because, you know, we talked all off season how they looked like the second best team in the ACC on paper uh, to us, a little bit better than North Carolina, which uh, I haven't taken my full victory lap <laughs> yet on, on North Carolina. Woo. but it's not it's not over yet. It's a long season, but it was yeah. a good start for our our projections compared. It to It was shocking. <laughs> oh well, was it? But <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, so Miami is very very talented, and we've seen them play really well at times in the past. In in you know twenty twenty at, at certain times they showed some real promise. They fell flat on their face a couple of times as well and then last week they absolutely got blown out so i don't have a great read yet on miami but we see this game because uh we have incorporated a small amount of team performance ratings from this year it's it's actually ran the the numbers our team performance 2021 ratings account for about point uh 75 of our overall uh team strength numbers right now we slowly incorporate them over the course of the season we don't want to completely overreact early on uh but there's some statistical stuff sort of on the end that we we kind of throw in a little bit and that hurt miami really really badly because they you know were negative uh, 2.2 uh, yards per play on net against Alabama that hurt a lot. They were negative 2.2 in uh, expected point at, uh, expected points added per play margin, uh, and they were uh, you know outgained in yards per pass attempt on net by 3.3. All of those ranked well in the triple digits so far. Uh, but it, again, was against a really really great opponent. So we've got this game projected much closer this week than it would have been last week. However, uh, because we think Appalachian State is so good, you know, we're, we're still on the same side of this that we would have been last week. Right now our projections Miami to win by about two and a half. Um, last week I think it was over seven, but it was still within that eight-point current point spread. So we're on App State. I, I could certainly see scenarios where Miami – kind of you know gets some things corrected from last week is not quite as bad as they looked last week and wins this game by double digits uh but also i think that there's a fear two fears maybe one that we were overrating miami from the start and two that you know sometimes a loss one week or a poor showing one week can bleed over a little bit to the next week. So there's certainly also a scenario where they come out, uh, you know, a little flat, where they've lost some confidence, where, um, you know, things in the rare situations can kind of spiral out of control early on. And, you know, maybe Miami puts a, a second straight poor performance. So I think I'm, I'm, I prefer that we're on the App State side of this. Uh, it's one that I don't necessarily think we've got a huge edge on, even though there's about you know five and a half points between our projection and the uh, point spread that's out there. Uh, 
but I, I think that I think I'm where I want us to be on App State for for this particular game. All right, so I'm going to drop in Xavier's take right here. So App State versus Miami, I think, is a must-win for Miami. Uh, I think this is a team that, at the very least, needs to show some semblance of of you know talent going into this week. You know, they, they, obviously, when you play a team like Alabama starting off, it's it's a really, really, really rough you know first showing for your fan base. And I think the best way of being able to prove to the rest of the fan base that no, we're good, we're gonna write this ship. It's just because it's Alabama. It's just because of the fact that at the end of the day, you know, you know, it is to beat a team that has a pretty well known pedigree around college football in Appalachian State. You know, who, who's who's you know has a history of beating P5 teams. And if you were to beat an App State pretty handedly, would look pretty good on the resume as a team that probably will finish either ranked or at least uh, as a contender in the Sun Belt, which has you know has a ranked team in Coastal Carolina and had two coming into the year with Coastal Carolina and Louisiana, uh, respectively. From an App State perspective, this is an opportunity once again for you to show the rest of the country that you haven't lost a step. You know, the last week they played a pretty close game against East Carolina, and East Carolina is one of those weird teams. Scott and I, uh, and Nick, you and I have talked about in the past how you know East Carolina plays up to their opponents a lot of times, but also plays down to their opponents a lot of times. Um, you know, East Carolina is really po- always poised for a game in which they play really, really well. Um, whether or not that turns into an up set or not is really up to them but they always have games where they play pretty well against some you know better opponents and so it's not too surprising that east carolina was able to stick with app state for the most part you know app state still winning by two touchdowns at the end of the day uh because east carolina offensively has been pretty good you know um you know holton aylers is you know is i think in year four at this point either year three or year four so you know he knows the offense pretty well so that deep their offense is pretty solid App State was able to hold them off though, um, and win 33-19. Uh, Chase Bryce looked pretty good in his first in his first game uh, as App State quarterback 20-27, 259, two touchdowns and an interception. They were able to run the ball like run the ball like 200 yard rushers run the ball against East Carolina, which obviously has to be a plus going into a game against Miami, where Miami was giving up rushing yards left, right, and center. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And so, um, you know, Nate Noel, Nate Noel, who had 15 carries for a buck 26 and Cameron Peoples who had 14 carries for a you know a hundred flat and two touchdowns as well it's got to be a positive sign when you have that kind of balance from an App State team that last year really really focused on the passing game and I think that lack of balance caused them to struggle uh last year um as they were really really focusing on uh on their passing game you know Chase Bryce you know it is not as much of a drop-off at the quarterback's position um, as maybe people were expecting from App State going into this year. So I think that's another positive for them to have a guy in Chase Bryce who's pretty seasoned. I mean, he's been around college football for a while, obviously starting at Clemson, then going to Duke last year, now ending up at App State. And also, you know, this is Chase Bryce's last opportunity to really show college football that he's got what, you know, was he, everybody thought he had coming out of high school. So, you know, this is an opportunity, and App State's a perfect school to do it at, as you're going to be playing in games like against Miami, where you're going to be playing, you know, tough non-conference games against P5 teams. This is a perfect opportunity for him to still show the rest of college football and possibly the NFL that he still has the talent that everybody thought he had. From a Miami point of view, this is an opportunity to get back on the track. You know, this is an opportunity, like I said, to beat an App State team that probably ranks like 29-30 right now. And I can say 29-30 because if you guys ever go to the AP poll and look all the way down, you can see other teams receiving votes. App State's typically one of those teams that's always receiving votes if they're not already in the top 25. Uh, So Miami beating an App State team this weekend, beating them pretty handily would go a long way 
and in helping their fans forget the bludgeoning that they suffered this weekend or this past weekend, excuse me, against Alabama. Uh, and, and for Miami, I think they need to do that. You know, they looked lost on the defensive end. They just looked lost for sort, you know, you know, all sorts of loss. And that's really the biggest concern I have for Miami is that Bryce Young was just slicing and dicing. I mean, he was just slicing and dicing a secondary that, you know, we thought was well, going to be pretty de- decent. You know, they they got transferred Tyreek Stevenson. You know, this is a team the defense, or you know, they have Bubba Bolden back there. You thought that this was, you know, Al Blades Jr. You thought that this was a secondary that would be pretty good. You know, at, at least you know, decent enough to not get beat for almost 400 yards. And that's what them calling the dogs of. Bryce Young could have easily had 400 plus and probably five TDs this weekend, uh, this weekend uh, against Miami. And, and Alabama called the dogs off. Uh, and I think that helped the secondary a little bit look a little bit better. Uh, but you expected the secondary to play a little bit better than what they did, or, or a lot of bit better than probably what they did. As you felt like that was probably one of the strengths of this team coming into this year, especially when you talk about the fact that they lost like Jalen Phillips and Gregory Rousseau last year. You kind of felt like the, the defensive line was going to be the, the, the weak point and the secondary was going to be a point in which you could lean on a little bit, and they couldn't lean on him at all this past week. So that's a little bit of a concern going against App State. The other concern, obviously, is that De'Ara King had no time. Now, once again, you're playing Alabama. You're playing one of the best pass rushers in the country. We've talked about it over and over again on this podcast, how good this pass rush is going to be this year. You know, Christopher Allen, who they lost in this game, Alabama did, you know, got himself a sack. Will Anderson got himself a sack. Christian Harris got himself a sack. You know, even Fedarian Mathis got himself a sack. So, you know, this was also, we, we knew that this was going to be a team that could get after the quarterback. Um, and they showed it in this game. The biggest concern was that Miami just didn't look like they were, pre- were prepared. You know, they were, uh, yeah, they were, they were, you know, I don't know if this was a confidence pick or if this was just sheer, you know, talent from Alabama, but you saw a lot of one-on-one blocking out there. You saw a lot of left tackles and right tackles being put on islands, and you really felt like against guys, you know, of the caliber of a Will Anderson and a Chris Allen that you would double team or at least shed a guy to the side or at least, you know, give give an extra chip block from a running back as he was going out on a route, like something to give Derek King more time in the pocket because he doesn't need a lot of time. This is a very athletic, very, you know, strong quarterback with a great arm who doesn't need a ton of time to either find a man or decide to run. And he just didn't have either at times in this game um, to make a decision whatsoever. And that was a little concerning for Miami. I think they're able to right the ship this week and beat an App State team. You know, and, and I think that this, you know, really helps them out. You know, this is a night game on ESPNU, you know, allows people around the country who, you know, to, to get another glimpse at Miami going into the year, which I think is a wide open ACC um, outside of obviously Clemson. But this is a wide, wide open, you know, I think coastal division that, you know, saw UNC lose over the weekend, saw Georgia Tech lose to the NIU over the weekend, you know, saw Duke lose to Charlotte over the weekend. And the only team that really looked good was Pitt and Virginia Tech, you know, and Virginia Tech didn't look great. So this is an opportunity for Miami to write that ship after losing the Alabama. Alabama understand you know and letting everybody know it was a, it was a loss to Alabama but this is an app this is a Miami team that can still compete in the ACC uh, for app it would be a massive win for them to do that obviously it would put them as the, probably the second ranked uh, Sun Belt team as you know they really this this is really the, the, the hardest game in their schedule for a while you know you would expect their next hardest schedule maybe and then game yeah, maybe to be against Marshall on September 23rd but really you're circling that two you know that back to back week where they play Louisiana on October 12th and uh, Coastal on October 20th so if they were to beat Miami right now you could see them really beginning to build some momentum and be you know probably ranked in you know the top 25 you know from 20 to 25 and really be able to 
build some momentum going into that Louisiana and Coastal matchups back to back. But like I said, I think I have Miami winning this game. I think you see De'Ara King have more time in the pocket uh, with App State not having nearly the same pass rushers and him being able to dissect a little bit. And I think you'll be able to get a real sense of who Miami is after this game, not so much after the uh, Alabama game this past weekend. And let's go on to the next game here, Nick. And this is Pitt at Tennessee. This one, uh, Xavier also picked. I can't get a good grip on this. Um, you know, Pitt looked pretty good week one. Uh, Tennessee kind of had a rocky start. Ended up winning their game, of course. But their th- uh, Pitt is three and a half point favorites. The over is 57 and a half. So what do we think uh, about the Panthers at the Volunteers? Yeah, this is a this is a, a bit of a tricky one because Pitt is a team that you know rates is pretty pretty strongly rated in in our power ratings right now. They're actually the team that jumped ahead of Miami for that number two spot in the ACC as far as our numbers go, and and that probably surprises some folks. Remember, we did have North Carolina third already, and then Virginia Tech, even though they were as you know impressive as they were in in some instances, it wasn't a performance that was going to propel them all the way from middle of the pack in the ACC to that number two spot. So, you know, Pitt was kind of on the edge of of the top 30 rating coming in. They played one of the weakest FBS opponents you could ask for in UMass, but they took care of business. They were a little slow on uh, early on, uh, but then, you know, turned it on and ran that score up to 51 to seven, covered up what 38 point uh, spread. And, and this is oddly enough, I tweeted this out. Uh, our, our final score prediction in this game was 51 to seven. We usually get one of those a year and one game that we're probably not going to touch on. Uh, we actually also predict, predicted Missouri to beat central Michigan 34-24. So we usually get one of those a year. We got two of them in the first week. But anyway, I mean, Pitt was was solid. And, and you know, it's difficult to poke holes in a 51-7 to win, even if it was against a really, really weak opponent. Tennessee played actually a similarly rated opponent. Bowling Green has, you know, been bouncing around in that 126 to 130 uh, rating area, similar to UMass, all off season for us. And, you know, Tennessee won that game handily, but it was less impressive. I think they, they jumped out, uh, you know, to a, to a, a decent start. And then it got kind of, um, you know, they got a little bit, I don't know if complacent is the right word, but they just, you know, they, they didn't necessarily take the foot off the gas, but they, they didn't go out and just, pound Bowling Green like we expected. I mean, I said in, I think, our SEC preview that I thought if Tennessee had a chance, they were going to try to put up 70 in in week one. And they might have, you know, certainly preferred to do that and, you know, thought that there could have been a chance early on. But then Bowling Green kind of, you know, got a couple of stops, put together a couple of slow drives, threw Tennessee off a little bit. And then Joe Milton, who started you know, something like nine of 10 and uh, passing in the first half and, you know, ran a touchdown in, uh, slowed down a little bit and, and struggled with some accuracy in, in the second half. So they're not fully, you know, operating at full speed offensively quite yet. Uh, they're a team that a lot of folks are, uh, you know, just not super high on 
to begin with. They're 45th in our power ratings, ninth in the SEC, and we might actually be a little on the high side. Um, but they're, you know, a team I think is capable or at least talented enough to stack up against Pitt. So we actually see this line in our official projection pretty close to what the odds makers do. We're on Pitt by about four and a half, so we do expect Pitt to cover, and I think I I prefer to be on that side of things. But Tennessee does have a talent edge of of more than a touchdown. Uh, And actually our stats-only projection which remember is a little weird in non-conference games, but um, you know looks at the coaching history on on both sides. So they do give Tennessee a bit of a bump because Heupel uh, put up some strong offensive numbers at his time in, at UCF. But that game is pretty close to a coin flip. Have Pitt uh, with uh, less than than one point of a uh, you know favored by less than one point in that Prism uh, projected scoring margin stats only model. So. Tennessee's, you know, we're on Tennessee in, in two of the three, but we're on Pitt in the big one that incorporates everything we do, coaching ratings, team performance, uh, you know, roster strength, all that, all that stuff. So I, I think I think I'm happy that we're on Pitt officially, but I think Tennessee also is talented enough, has talented enough players and runs now a, a style of offense where tempo you know, can can put some teams, can stress some teams. Uh, I, I don't know if Pitt's going to be quite as susceptible, you know, susceptible to that as a Bowling Green was because Pitt plays so well defensively year in and year out, and is is a solid unit on that side of the ball this year as well. I think, um, but this is this is one that's difficult to get a read on, as you said. You know, Tennessee's at home. Uh, that should be a bit of a factor. Pitt is a team that, you know, we talked about again in our preseason previews two or three times a season, it seems. They lose games they're not supposed to. Could this be one of those games? Absolutely it could. Uh, but I think that, you know, we're, we're uh, maybe gifted is not quite the right word, but we were sort of presented with a point spread low enough. I would have I would have expected Pitt to be favored by a touchdown, basically, uh, you know, a week ago, I think. And to see it at, at you know three and a half, I think we got a little room to to operate there. It's certainly a game Pitt could lose outright, but I I think it's also a game that they cover by a touchdown. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I I was kind of surprised that Pitt was favored in this game too. Uh, I do think that they're better than Tennessee as far as like teamwork goes and familiarity and all that stuff. But, you know, like you said, the talent edge is in favor of Tennessee. And when you look at uh, public money in this game, it is leaning uh, towards Pitt by a wide margin. So no one is really buying into Tennessee after just one win quite yet. So let's hear Xavier talk some more smack about Tennessee. We always love that. 
This is going to be one of my favorite games of the weekend, obviously, for multiple reasons. Um, one, it involves one of the teams I can't stand in Tennessee, but also it involves a quarterback that I have literally, you know, praised on this podcast several times in Pittsburgh and Kenny Pickett, who looked really good this past week against UMass. I know it's UMass, but they were able to put up 51 points. Um, and, and for a Pitt team that doesn't typically put up 51 points, it was a pretty good, you know, it, it was a pretty good outing from them. Um, you know, Kenny Pickett was able to pretty much get the ball around the yard at will. You know, having his typical 30, you know, 27 of 37, 272, two touchdowns. Uh, they were able to run the ball pretty decent, not great, but they kind of just like ran with everybody. I mean, literally everybody got a touch. If you look at all of the rushing yards, you know, on Google, or if you go through the stats, it will, you know, 10 guys got a carry in this game. Uh, out of those 10 guys, eight of them, or excuse me, nine of them were able to, you know, get into double digits rushing. So, you know, if I put all of the math together, they probably ran for over 150 yards, just kind of spitballing it, looking at the numbers right here. Uh, but like I said, it was a pretty good showing from Pitt this past week, obviously against UMass here, but pretty much do exactly what you want to do. Um, you know, you really only could pull negatives in a game like this. You know, maybe the defense looked a little worse and allowed UMass to, you know, throw the ball around the yard. That wasn't the case. UMass only scoring seven points. And their quarterback going 14 of 31. You know, the UMass run the ball pretty well. Not at all. You know, running for, you know, a combined, you know, 50 or 62 yards. You know, so not a really good night out uh, for UMass at all. So that's a really big positive going for Pitt. Going into a game against a Tennessee team that's going to be walking in with some confidence. You know, after a pretty, you know, handedly, you know, handed victory against Bowling Green. Um, you know, Joe Milton looked pretty good. Um, 11 of 23, 139 in a tub. Uh, but really, obviously, and, and this is something I think Tennessee will do all year, is they're going to lean on that running game. You know, where Joe Milton ha took some steps and looked a little bit better, you know, there was still, you know, some mechanics issues. You know, his, 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 his I don't know if it's, if it's his feet or, you know, whether or not he just, you know, can't, you know, turn his shoulders to the target. But, it, you know, just throw some balls off sometimes. And, and it's really rough because you can see the athlete and you can see the flashes that, you know, why as to why, you know, he was a guy who played at Michigan and played at such a big school and why Tennessee wants him to be the starter. But then at times you go, well, I also see why you lost your job. So, I, you know, he, he's a little bit erratic. And that's what concerns me going into this game against Pitt is that Pitt's defense is going to, you know, feed on any kind of erraticism. You know, any kind of, you know, you know, wayward passing or anything against Pitt is never a good thing. You know, obviously we always know that Pitt's going to come in with a very stingy pass rush, you know, that can get to the quarterback and, and can find a way there. That's what Pat Narduzzi, you know, specializes in. You know, they had five sacks against UMass. So this is going to be a team that can get to the passer and is going to make Joe Milton, you know, uh, uncomfortable. For Joe Milton and for Tennessee, they're going to have to, you know, really rely on that running game that worked so well for them against Bowling Green. You know, Tyon or Tion Evans or Tyon Evans, you know, 16 carries for 120 yards. Jabari Small, 22 carries for 117. And Joe Milton himself even tacked on 44 yards on 14 carries himself. They're going to really have to feed on that running attack and, and to keep, you know, those pit pass rushers from being able to just pin their ears back and come after the Joe Milton, who, who looked, you know, like I said, who looked pretty erratic in the game, you know, throwing for less than 50%, obviously, 
points to that. You know, and only being able to throw for 139 yards against a Bowling Green defense also points to that as well. Um, I'm going to go with Pitt here, even though they're playing on the road, because I feel like they have a little bit more of a, you know, of, of, of an understanding of who they are. They're going to, they, Kenny Pickett's the guy. Kenny Pickett's the quarterback. He takes them as far as they possibly can offensively, you know, with a pretty platoon swap at the running back position. But more importantly, defensively, they understand that they can get after the pass, or uh, get after the quarterback. Uh, and their secondary is been don't break. That's how they always have been. That's how they always play. You know, they're going to keep the ball in front of them. And they're not going to let you beat you beat them for big plays. You know, you're going to have to work methodically down the field to beat Pittsburgh. And typically, they're going to try to get that negative play to really halt your drive. For Tennessee to win this ball game, it's going to have to be on the shoulders of that running game. If that running game can really get started and can really hit Pittsburgh in the mouth early, it's going to cause those defensive ends and those defensive tackles to have to worry about the running game. Uh, that includes, you know, uh, you know, a, a splash of running from Joe Milton to keep those guys on their toes because if they're able to just pin their ears back and come after the quarterback, uh, then it's going to be a long, long night for Tennessee. I think this is a great barometer game for both teams to see where they're at right now in the year um, and where they will be in the future. I think if Tennessee were to come out and win this ball game, this, this is a team that absolutely is a team that should be one of the top four teams, maybe five teams in the SEC East when you really look at how this past weekend went. For Pitt, this is a team that you know, when you look around the ACC, and you, especially like I said earlier in the podcast, you talk about the Coastal. This is a team that looked that probably was the most impressive outside of maybe Virginia Tech or Virginia this past week. You know, when you really, really look at you look at it and you peel back how everybody performed in the Coastal this past year, this past week. You know, with Georgia Tech losing, Duke losing, Miami losing, and UNC losing, like I said earlier, you know, Pitt can really make a statement if they were to go into Neyland Stadium and pick up a big win against, you know, an SEC team that obviously, you know, has its turnover and things of that nature. But beating an SEC team on the road is never an easy feat, regardless of who it is, um, especially, especially when you're talking about a program the size of Tennessee. Uh, so... I like Pitt here to win this game, and I think Pitt should get a lot of conversation if they were to go in there uh, into Neyland and win this ball game for a team that can compete in the Coastal. Um, you know, I talked about Miami earlier in the podcast. I think Miami is a team; it's got to be your favorite, even though they just got you know beat down by Alabama. That you you still think that okay, that that's one big bruise and one you know you know one shot to the eye that they took this year. But you should feel like they should be able to come back in the latter rounds and be able to win uh, uh, enough games to get them at least in the conversation. Uh, but when you know but but really you're looking at maybe you know outside of that UNC Pitt and possibly and obviously you gotta say Virginia Tech after what you saw last week as possible contenders in a wide in what I think is a wide open ACC coastal. Uh, so I got Pitt winning this game. I think they're able to go into the England Stadium and get a big time victory and, and put a lot of people on notice that this is a team that can compete for the ACC coastal and can definitely you know see itself possibly being in uh, the ACC championship game at the end of the year. And I didn't listen to you know any of these beforehand from from Xavier. Oh, so you haven't. <laughs> I haven't, but I just know he's going to be talking smack about Tennessee. We know Xavier. Well, I'm, I'm going to actually have to listen to the podcast for the first time. Maybe <laughs> go back and listen. Yeah, you, know, you, you got You got to love hearing your own voice, right? So uh, I get super sick of it. I do too many podcasts, but. Uh, let's move on to the first game I picked here. And I picked this game because, Nick, I want to hear what you have to say about it because I don't know how to feel. Washington and Michigan. Michigan's a six-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is 48-and-a-half. Washington lost to Montana. Um, you know, Michigan looked pretty good against Western Michigan, and that was even after losing Ronnie Bell. Uh, Western Michigan did uh, have Sky Moore forced from this game, who's a big part of their team, but... Um, they look like they were back up to 
dominating in games they are supposed to dominate in. So, uh, but I just have a feeling that Washington is going to go into the big house and beat Michigan. So I kind of hate this game. What are you, uh, what are we thinking about this Washington at Michigan game, which, you know, the line moved five points after Washington. It was Washington by, uh, or uh, Michigan by one and a half. Now it's Washington by, or excuse me, Michigan by six and a half. Yeah, this is this is a game I was pretty excited to talk about, to be honest. And and as good as la- last week was for us against the spread and, and everything like that, the Washington loss hurts because uh, you know all off season I was talking about how we had Washington favored in every regular season game. Uh, I had some you know real long shot uh, Washington futures for uh, winning the national championship, and, and I. Uh, you know, didn't expect that to to come to fruition by any chance. But I thought this was a team that could get to, you know, nine or ten wins, could compete for uh, the Pac-12 North, maybe even win the Pac-12. And to lose to Montana, though I do, I, I lived in Montana for a little while. I went to a game at Washington Grizzly Stadium. It was a ton of fun. Missoula is a great town. Love, you know, go Grizz. But I was I was uh, sad to, to see this result. I was hoping Washington might find a way to, to squeak out a win and, and keep us, uh, you know, not looking terrible for saying, oh, yeah, we had them favored in every regular season game. And oh, by the way, about by 45 or 50 against uh, Montana and uh, for them to lose outright is, is embarrassing. Anytime you lose to an FCS opponent, whether you're UNLV losing, you know, in double overtime uh, to a really solid team, or whether you're Washington, a ranked opponent, losing to, you know, arguably one of the FCS Blue Bloods, but still an FCS opponent, a team that you're supposed to beat by three, four, or five touchdowns. So uh, it was weird. It was it was really really strange, and and you know, Washington struggled at quarterback. I know some of the fans there are already, you know, looking, uh, calling for change at, at that position, even though Morris played so well in 2020. And I mean, how can they not? They lost to an FCS team. You know sure. what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and then Michigan, on the other hand, you know, this time last week, after we had seen Nebraska lose to Illinois, we had the question, who's on the hotter seat, Scott Frost or Jim Harbaugh? And I said, well, you know, maybe that's a game Western Michigan could win outright. That was certainly not the case. Michigan uh, dominated and, and played really well defensively against what I think is one of the most talented G5 offenses, uh, you know, out there and, and certainly uh, have a lot of talent at the quarterback and, and receiver position. But that was a game that Michigan took control of very early on and, and blew out a solid, I think, uh, at least a Mac contending uh, team in Western Michigan. So both teams have moved, you know, they were, they were pretty evenly matched uh, or, you know, folks, uh, I think for the most part had relatively even uh, expectations for Washington and Michigan, even though we were a little higher on Washington than maybe some folks. Um, but to see Washington struggle so much, they moved a little bit, you know, to the to the lower side to see Michigan uh, somewhat surprisingly look as good as they did. They moved a little bit to the positive side, and you know, I, I get why Michigan is now almost a, a full touchdown favorite. However, I try my very best not to you know 
overreact. And even though an FCS opponent, you know, losing to an FCS opponent is damning, uh, I think Washington can bounce back a little bit. When I did those the, those very early look-ahead lines, we still had Washington favored. So, so early Sunday morning, we still had Washington as a slight favorite. Went in, added, you know, updated the, the team performance and some head coaching ratings and things like that because we do knock you down uh, for, in head coaching rating if you lose uh, as a favorite and especially if you lose uh, to, a, you know, as a big, big favorite. So uh, that hurt a little bit, and now we've got Washington as an underdog but it's still well within the six and a half. We're also still well within the six and a half in the uh, projected scoring margin. We're within the six and a half in the uh, talonage numbers. So, you know, this is one of those games. We actually have Washington favored in that stats only model, the, the prism model still. So, you know, I think this is a game Washington can win outright. We do have Michigan favored now. Uh, we do have it close. Our final score prediction is 30 to 26, which is well over the 48 and a half. And that's another thing I noticed this week. Our our total projections, which have been really solid the last uh, year plus and got off to a great start, are way, uh, you know, heavy on overs this week, which I don't, I don't want to be low. Uh, they so are. I, I was looking at that earlier when I was doing CFF with Lob. Uh, John Lobb uh, yesterday uh, on the ITL CFF show, and there I think I, I think there are six games with overs of sixty points or more. That's it, and a lot of those games have you know fifteen to thirty point uh, spreads. So mm -hmm. uh, there's just not a lot of high overs this week. A lot of unders. Yeah, yeah, and so we could end up getting burned by that. I mean, hopefully uh, we won't be in a situation where you know. We have just two slow, slug it out type offenses, which Michigan and Washington can fall into that category, certainly. Uh, but but hope, hopefully we're not just going to get completely slaughtered on those. I would much rather have a lot of unders than a lot of overs. Uh, but anyway, that was just uh, something I, I made note of. But uh, we think it's going to be a close game. Our numbers still project a close game. Um, I tried to downgrade Washington, you know, as much as I could without completely, I think, overreacting as much as, you know, you might think a, a, an extreme reaction to losing to an FCS opponent might be warranted. I get that. Uh, but also, you know, one of my sort of guiding principles, and this is something that I've learned or, you know, was sort of beat into me when I was uh, coaching so many years ago, is it's never as good as it seems and it's never as bad as it seems. So I think Washington's loss you know, is bad, definitely bad, but it's probably not quite, you know, it's not into the world type stuff. They can bounce back from this. Michigan was really good. I mean, but it's probably not quite as good as, you know, winning uh, a big blowout in, in week one against a solid opponent. You know, um, they still have some things to clean up. They are certainly not perfect by any stretch. And, uh, you know, this is a game, as you mentioned, was projected much closer this time last week. And yeah, we've learned some things, but is it worth moving it that much? I think we have to be careful to overreact to week one. So I'm happy we're on Washington this week. And, and certainly, like I said about Miami, things could go south in a hurry. They could completely unravel because of what happened in week one. But I think there's also a pretty good chance 
that they bounce back and show that, hey, week one was was a bit of a fluke and we're still the team that could contend in, in the Pac-12. Uh, and what better way to start than than to beat Michigan uh, in week two and, and kind of set them up for uh, a stronger, uh, you know, moving forward as, as they look at Pac-12 play in a couple of weeks. So uh, we do think Michigan will win outright, but I think it'll be very close. This, this does feel like about a, a field goal game. And so, like I said, 30 to 26 being that projected final score. All right, let's hear what Xavier has to say about this game. Yeah, when we talk about Washington versus Michigan, I mean, this is a game that going into last week, we were looking forward to the two possibly ranked matchups or two ranked teams going into this game. And we're going to get completely the opposite. And I'm really concerned about actually how good this game is actually going to be. Now, from a Washington perspective, and I'll start with them, they've got to be coming in pretty hungry. And this is something I told you guys I was scared of before the year started. You know, we talked about it in the Pac-12 preview. Go listen to that if you haven't already. But I talked about how I did not believe Dylan Morris was the guy. I said it time after time again. I think that was the sole reason as to why I didn't have Washington even winning the Pac-12 this year was because I felt like the quarterback position was falsely, you know, solidified. You know, I felt like Dylan Morris was a game manager last year, was decent in the times that I did watch him and ultimately never gave me any kind of confidence or any kind of, you know, solidity or that I felt this year he was all of a sudden going to make that next step. And he looked awful against Montana, throwing three picks, you know, just really looked out of sorts, especially with, you know, this game being at home. You expected him to be a little bit more grounded coming into year two, understanding what he had to do for Washington, who a lot of people had as a dark horse to win the Pac-12, to be able to compete for the Pac-12 this year. And I just didn't think that he was able to do so. He looked really shaky in the pocket. And also, and, and you know, I talked about this in that episode in particular, his mechanics I've never been a fan of. He has a very push-pass kind of mechanics that, you know, and his arm strength doesn't look like it's always all there. And, and you know, it's just a multitude of things, a litany of things that just for me, Dylan Morris is not the guy at Washington. I think this week you'll see a concerted effort for them to either, one, find the guy in this game against Michigan, or two, give Dylan Morris kind of his last send-off. And if he were to play bad against Michigan this week, he, you know, you, you really see a, a, a new quarterback battle happening at Washington. Because two losses into their season could really just derail the whole thing. It's not obviously over for the Pac-12 at all. But as far as any kind of playoff push whatsoever, it's probably done at this point. Um, and especially if they lose to Michigan this week, you feel like 0-2, they're done. Um, especially with Montana being the other loss. Um, from, Mont- from a Washington defense po- point of view, you probably feel hard done by. You know, you did pretty much what you're supposed to do. You feel like if you're the better and more talented team, giving up only 13 points to a Montana team, you feel like you should win the ball game. Um, you know, you feel like you should be able to, at the very least, you know, win it by the skin of your teeth. Giving up 13 points as a defense, you know, you're, you're, you're tasked to give up less than, you know, you feel like less than 20 any given night, especially with a Washington team or any Pac-12 team, really against an F, uh, FCS program, that you're supposed to win. So, uh, for the defense perspective, you really can't pull much from it. Um, obviously, they gave, gave up 10 points in the fourth quarter. You really felt like, you know, that probably was either due to a one fatigue, you know, which is something we talked about in previous podcasts, thinking that, you know, fatigue this year was going to be different than in past years because they're going to be more games under their belt. But this was game one. So, but, but when you're on the field so much as a defense and you're not getting any kind of help from your offense, and especially with the quick turnarounds in which they had to do with a lot of drives, with there being three picks. You felt like at some point that defense was going to break. You know, something was going to happen. Something was going to break for Montana, and it just hell happened to happen in the fourth quarter. Um, so Washington, this is a must-win game, um, and I feel like you know, 
honestly, when you looked at the schedule before the year started, I thought this was a much win. This was going to be a must-win game for Michigan after what I thought was going to be a pretty close contest against Western Michigan. Completely wrong. You know, Michigan has their quarterback in K. McNamara. You know, yes, they gave J.J. McCarthy some time. I think both of them looked good. Obviously, McNamara, 9 of 11, 136, two touchdowns. J.J. McCarthy, 4 of 6, uh, 80, t- 80 yards and one touchdown. So they both looked pretty good uh, on the ground. They were able to run it pretty effectively. Uh, Blake Corum running for 111 yards. A.J. Henning, 74 yards. And Hassan Haskins also throwing in 70 of his own yards as well. All three of them scoring touchdowns. The offense just seemed to click. Now, obviously, going into this game, a big loss for them and Ronnie Bell being out for the year. That's going to be huge uh, to see what, you know, who K. McNamara slash J.J. McCarthy now make their number one guy with Ronnie Bell being out. I mean, obviously, he started off really hot. Uh, and it's really sad to see because he started off really, really well. And to see the kind of injury that in which he sustained in a game that for a lot of people is probably a mean-nothing game, quote-unquote. Every game means something in college football. But, you know, in a game against, an, an, uh, you know, a MAC opponent, not even a Big Ten opponent, uh, where you were up already in the game pretty handedly, it's just sad to see. Uh, from a defensive perspective, th- the defense was cool. You know, I- I'm not going to rave about the defense. They didn't force a ton of turnovers. Uh, and, and I think that ultimately, you know, they look pretty decent up front. Um, my only concern is the fact that, you know, against this team, even though the score would say that they won 47-14, they only had one sack, and you know, I, I would hope that you know, in the coming months, they could get more pressure. Because as we saw around the college football, especially in the Big Ten, pressure was something that pretty much, uh, uh, you know, the the good teams in the Big Ten could get this week. You know, we saw Iowa give Graham Mertel. We even saw Minnesota get to C.J. Stroud some. So if you're gonna be a Michigan, if you're gonna be a team that's thinking about competing in the Big Ten this year, you're gonna have to get pressure on the quarterback. And the fact that they were only able to, you know, capitalize on that and get one sack is a tad bit concerning. Even with all that being the case, Michigan wins this game handedly for me. Uh, Washington has lost all favor for me. And I know, you know, like I said, Washington's going to be coming into this game hungry. And maybe you feel like that hunger allows them to win this game. But on the road against Michigan, who just got a big-time win, you really, really, really feel like, you know, uh, Michigan wins this game just based off of the confidence that they sustained from last week. And Washington, even with all that hunger, may play better, but I don't think that they are, are able to, you know, complete this upset. I've got Michigan winning this ball game. And let's go over to the other game I picked, and I think this is the one you were alluding to before, probably the biggest game of the week, Nick. It's Iowa at Iowa State. Um, look, Iowa State is ranked higher. Um, this is the first time I believe that either one of these teams has been, uh, that, that both of these teams have been ranked inside the top 10 or even maybe the top 25 when they're playing each other. So it is going to be a very, very good game in Ames this weekend. And how are you seeing, uh, the lean on this? The line is Iowa state by four and the over under is another low one of 46. Yeah. And, and this is another somewhat similar situation where one team is really riding high and one team kind of stumbled out of the gate a little bit. Iowa State, notoriously, the last several years, has struggled in week one. They've struggled specifically with Northern Iowa, an FCS opponent, in years past. Last week, very much the same. They won 16 to 10 and, you know, didn't look didn't look like the uh, playoff crash type team that that uh, we thought might be the case all preseason however again there's there's history to show that Iowa State has started slow but is able to 
to you know pick up uh, the speed and, and momentum uh, in the the weeks to follow. And and so I'm not quite ready to jump completely off the Iowa State bandwagon yet. I I know that they are not perfect. We've talked plenty about how their talent profile is absolutely not a national championship contending uh, talent profile. Uh, I've, uh, I also made the decision that I was going to downgrade Brock Purdy just a little bit. He's been a 100-rated, max-rated player since early in his sophomore season just because he was so productive as a freshman and early uh, in that, that second year as a starter. But the last you know year plus really hasn't played like the best quarterback in college football. And, and, you know, for him to have the same rating as a Matt Corral, to have a higher rating than Spencer Rattler or Malik Willis, uh, you know, I, I finally came around to say, you know what, this just isn't right. So we need to need to downgrade him a little bit, uh, need to get rid of some of those production points that he earned as a freshman. And so he's still really solid. I mean, he's still a, a you know, all big 12 caliber quarterback has shown that in the past uh but he's a 94 now instead of a 100 so that that dropped iowa state a little bit their team performance rating uh was not uh you know off the charts by any stretch i mean they were 56th in our first run through team performance in week one but this is still an iowa state team that can beat any team on its schedule iowa is a, a very interesting case because similarly, you know, as far as a talent profile goes, they are uh, even worse in some instances than Iowa State. In our roster strength numbers, they are much, much lower. Recruiting classes have, have uh, you know, gone up a bit in, in recent years, but Iowa is still relying on, you know, a lot of three-star guys, a lot of, in some cases, former walk-ons uh, to play big roles or unrated, you know, players. Uh, and then the quarterback position, Spencer Petras is, is you know, okay. Uh, looked pretty good last week in a very impressive win over Indiana, but he's just an 81-rated player. So we see a pretty big edge at the quarterback position there. Uh, in, in you know Iowa State's favor, but Iowa, man, defensively they've been so good, and and to be able to hold Indiana, who you know was a top twenty-five team, uh, a lot of people thought could make some noise in the Big Ten East, had really shown a lot of promise the last couple of years. Iowa had two pick sixes. Um, uh, that was Riley Moss, the the super senior corner, had had two pick sixes in that game, uh, and they were just. They were great, you know, a huge, huge win last week. But also, similarly, you know, let, let's not overreact. And, and yeah, I, I understand why Iowa moved up a little bit in people's eyes, as dominant as they were against a solid team. I understand Iowa State moved down in some people's eyes for as mediocre as, as they looked uh, against an FCS opponent. But not a ton has changed uh, overall, Let, let's not overemphasize one week's results. We have Iowa State favored to win this game, uh, and they are favored, you know, according to the odds makers. The number has come down a bit since, you know, the, the uh, midsummer when it was released. Um, and and our, our number has come down a bit as well. Iowa is, uh, you know, actually a, a very slight, about a half point favorite in that stats only model iowa state is about a one point favorite in the talent edge and a lot of that is production for guys like purdy Brees hall 
the wide receivers and tight ends, a lot of the defensive guys who've been multi-year starters and just collected a lot of production points. Um, but we still have Iowa State closer to a touchdown uh, than a field goal. They're about a five-and-a-half-point favorite, according to our uh, projections right now. And, I again, I think – I think that's the side I'd rather be on. I can certainly, you know, all these games, unfortunately, I don't have a, a huge uh, feeling of, yes, this is a no doubt, you know, bet the, uh, you know, the mortgage or whatever type situation. I, I don't, I don't have those feelings often anyway, but I don't have them about these, these particular games uh, this week, but more often than not, I'm, I'm glad we're on the side we're on and I'm glad we're on Iowa State this week. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Let's hear what Xavier has to say about it. Iowa Iowa State is a weird, weird game. Um, and I think it was even made weirder from last week's performances from each ball club. I'll start with Iowa State. Uh, Iowa State kind of just stumbled into a win against Northern Iowa. You know, Northern Iowa came out with all this energy and this enthusiasm. And Iowa State, whether they were overlooking them to get to this big game against Iowa or they just wanted to get done with their first game of the year, you know, just, just didn't care. You know, it, it was weird. You know, when you look at... The numbers from this game. It's not like Iowa, Northern Iowa was giving Iowa State all of these like major issues. It's not like Brock Purdy threw a bunch of interceptions. It's not like Brees Hall was having a fumble palooza or anything like that. It was just like Iowa State just didn't come to play. They just didn't care, you know, until all of a sudden they look up and they're like, oh, we could actually lose this ball game. And they decided to finally, you know, say and put it all together, and, you know, and, and add an insurance field goal at the end of the year, at the end of the game. But Iowa State was kind of playing this game as if they were like playing their little brother in a video game that they already know that they're better than them at. You know, you kind of just, oh, okay, I'll toy with you a little bit, uh, but you're not going to, you know, and you might get close, but you're not going to actually beat me. And I just know you're not going to because I'm better than you. So I'm just going to take this game. I'm going to take it pretty lightly. And when you don't beat me, it won't be a surprise to me, even though people around me may think, wow, it was closer than it probably should have been. And that's kind of what I get from Iowa State. I kind of get a game where they kind of just went through the motions. They just, kind of just chilled out. They're like, okay, first game of the season against a, a team up the road. Well, quote, unquote, up the road. I don't know how far away those schools are. But up the road, you know, coming in here with all this energy, eh, we'll, we'll, we'll handle this. And we'll get to the bigger game next week against Iowa in a ranked versus ranked matchup uh, in a top 15 team matchup. Matchup, you know, uh, and that's kind of just what I felt for watching Iowa. I'm not panicking or Iowa State, excuse me. I'm not going to panic by their game last week. Um, you know, it's not like they lost like in a Washington situation. They just kind of take the game in stride and, and kind of just went through the motions, um, you know, and you can have that, you know, being on a team that is so senior laden. You can have it to where these guys are just focused on winning the big games and getting back to where they were last year, which is having a chance to win the Big 12 championship and possibly having a chance to get to the playoff. You will have games where these guys feel like, uh, we having to do this again? Because I know it from experience. You know, my senior year of high school, we had a team that was completely senior laden. Matter, you know, we had 60 seniors on that team. And I would I tell you that some of the games in which we looked really, really bad in were games that we knew we were better than the team uh, that we were facing. And we just were going through the motions because we knew at the end of the day we were going to win regardless. Happens all of the time, especially with teams that are senior laden and kind of just want to get want to get to the finish line or get another opportunity, uh, another crack at it to get ultimately what they feel is rightfully theirs, which is a Big 12 championship. Uh, so I'm not 
you know, too concerned about what I saw from Iowa State last week. Brock Purdy needs to look better. That's the only thing I will come away with this game is, you know, the way Iowa looked like defensively, Brock Purdy has to be able to do more throughout the passing game. Um, you know, Brees Hall looked pretty good. You know, Xavier Hutchinson was a was a, was a was a nice sight for Iowa State fans that he's, you know, you know, definitely becoming Brock Purdy's second favorite target. Um, you know, and so that was the positive out of that game for Iowa State defensively, they looked okay. You know, forcing two picks out of uh, Will McIlvain, uh for Northern Iowa. You know, they looked pretty good defensively. They were able to get to the quarterback and get some pressure there as well. You know, walking away with uh, two sacks as a team. So I'm not panicking from what I saw from Iowa State last week going into this ball game. And I'm also to get to Iowa. I'm not overselling what Iowa did last week either. Yes, they had Michael Penn. They 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 made Michael Penix look really, really bad and really, really poor throwing three picks. Uh, but I also think that that's a little bit stretched when you really look at it. Iowa, you know, Iowa was able to score 31 of his 34 points in the first half. You know, and whether they called the dogs off in the second half or Indiana just played better. They weren't able to put up that nearly, you know, that same those same kind of numbers come the second half. And when you were able to force three picks, obviously that helps. Um, you know, when, when you look at that game, when you, when you go back and really look at it, you kind of feel like where Iowa was great, Michael Penix was also just really bad. He overthrew a couple of easy touchdowns, and one in particular, you know, he completely misses the back out the backfield. He would have sauntered in instead of trying to go, you know, instead of he tried to go for the jugular, ended up throwing a pick. You know, and, and you know, I feel like Michael Penix was pressing in game one. You know, maybe, you know, that ranking got to them. You know, maybe, you know, having such a big game first week of the season on the road got to an Indiana team that, you know, Scott alluded to this, you know, on a podcast we did of his, that, you know, maybe this Indiana team feels like they have to prove that they're not overrated. And so they're pressing a bit. And you can really feel that from Michael Penix. You know, the one thing I will say is that Indiana was still able to run the ball pretty well. Uh, obviously, they had to go away from that pretty early on, especially when you give up, you know, 31 points in the first half. Running the football isn't necessarily a priority anymore. Um, so that's something if you're, if you're an Iowa State fan, you're looking forward to against Iowa. They were able to run the ball pretty effectively. Stephen Carr looked pretty good to start the game off before all hell broke loose. Um, so if that's what you're looking at from an Iowa State point of view, that's maybe what you're holding your hat on. As Brees Hall, obviously, is going to be a bell cow for you coming into this ballgame. Um, and, and for Iowa, the one concern, once again, that I have is that offensively, even with scoring 34 points, they didn't look great. You know, Spencer, uh, Spencer Petras, he looked okay. 13 of 27 and 145 yards. That's not great. That's not a great night at the office when you beat a, a Big Ten foe by 28 points. You know, uh, Tyler Goodson ran for 99 yards, had a touchdown. Pretty, you know, pretty good day. But their offensive numbers just, you know, don't look you know, to the point where I'm like, okay, cool. This is a team that is going to go right into Iowa State because they do have to go to Jack Trice Stadium and just their offense is just going to click on all cylinders. I think this is going to be a complete, ugly slugfest of a game that is won in the third and fourth quarters, more than likely the fourth quarter. Uh, I think this is a game that could easily go like 10-10 uh, going into the fourth quarter. I think that we could see another rendition of what we saw this past week between Penn State and Wisconsin uh, where there's a slugfest and it's ugly for, you know, Three quarters, same thing like we saw in the Clemson-Georgia game. A real ugly game, a real ugly contest. I think early on in the season, you're going to see defenses dominating until these offenses can find their footing. Um, and I think you're going to see that around college football, not just in the big games. Uh, so in this game, I think I'm going to side with the home team here. I think you know Iowa State's able to get it done. Uh, obviously, 
quarterbacks are going to have to take care of the football. You know, obviously, Iowa comes off of a game where they just had three picks. Maybe they're looking for more. You know, Brock Purdy's going to be a little bit more composed being at home than Michael Penix would have been on the road. Uh, but at the end of the day, the reason why I'm picking Iowa State is I think they have more offensive talent. I think Iowa might is a better defense, but I think Iowa State's a better offense than what uh, they what Iowa saw last week in Indi- against Indiana. Um, and I think Iowa State has enough offensive weapons between Xavier Hutchinson, between Brock Purdy, between Brees Hall to get the job done over an Iowa offense. I think it's going to be pretty pedestrian all year. And it's going to really rely on their defense to give them great field position and make a lot of plays. All right, let's go over to the next game here, Nick. And these are the ones you picked. and So everyone knows I didn't pick this game. Uh, and it is Texas at Arkansas. And uh, the line right here is Texas by seven over under of 56. And just to look at uh, public betting here, it is heavily in favor of the Longhorns. So uh, are we on that side as well, Nick? Uh, Because this is an interesting one. I mean, this is kind of the, you know, for me, I can see it definitely being the, uh, hey, you look pretty good week one. And here's the letdown game because I've been there before. Oh, sure. And, and I'm, I'm a little nervous. I've mentioned before that I don't really look at the, uh, you know, percentage of bats or, or amount of money uh, on one side or the other. But when you bring it up, it, it makes me a little nervous. Uh, as you mentioned early on that, that we were on the public side on uh, the App State game, right? Uh, and that uh, we're also on the, the heavy public side with Texas. But we've been on Texas from the very beginning, our, our my very first bet in our uh, betting game, where, where I put down my first 200 fake dollars uh, this summer, was on Texas minus four at Arkansas, because our projections just think that Texas is a much better team than Arkansas. And this line has, has moved a couple of points since then. Uh, now up to, to seven when we released it to our patrons uh, on Tuesday evening, it was six and a half. But I mean, we're still heavy on on Texas. And, and so I just got done saying, you know, we don't have this uh, feeling of a, a huge edge or, or anything like that. If there's one we've got this week, it's Texas and Arkansas. And yes, I, I understand Arkansas was much, much improved last year. I understand that uh, they covered last week against Rice. However, they were also, you know, they struggled early on against Rice. It it took a while and a big second half or fourth quarter kind of got them over, you know, had some big plays on defense. And Rice is is just in a, I mean, we'll see in a couple of weeks uh, because Texas plays Rice. But, uh, you know, we right now, uh, looking ahead at that game, have Texas as a 37-point favorite over Rice. Uh, and, you know, as a result, even though Texas is uh, just coming off one game, and it was a pretty good game. I mean, they they covered against Louisiana uh, and I thought looked looked pretty good. B. John Robinson certainly looked as explosive and, and as, as uh, you know, <laughs> just one of the top playmakers in college football, like everyone expected, I still haven't heard very much about his injury situation. He came down real awkward. And I know you said uh, when we talked after the game on, on Saturday, not to he's worry. He's fine. I think he's fine. I, man, I, I it, it, it was so a weird awkward. Hit. Yeah, it really was. And that is one of the, I mean, him being the biggest factor in this game, obviously, 
uh, is going to impact the line, but I, I think he'll be okay. I, I hope so. But even then, we've we've kind of hedged on him a little bit, the way our, our projection right now counts uh, Bijan Robinson as a starter, but it also counts uh, Roshan Johnson and Keelan Robinson as starters. So kind of went with a three – uh, three-headed, you know, situation there where, you know, any any of those guys, if for whatever reason they were just a little quiet on Robinson, it turns out he's not going to be able to play. We still see Texas as a big favorite. Um, they're just a, a, you know, they're a more talented team. They rank in the top twenty nationally in overall uh, roster strength. Twenty-second on the offensive side, fourteenth on the on the defensive side. Arkansas is is also a talented team. I mean, they, you know, rank really pretty highly recently in, in recruiting uh, rankings, top 30 nationally the last three years, but they're still 54th in roster strength, 70th on the offensive side of the ball. They've got one of the best receivers in college football in Traylon Burks. They've got, uh, who I think will eventually be maybe one of the best quarterbacks in KJ Jefferson, but he's still young, you know, coming off his third career start. Uh, they've been a little banged up on the offensive line early on. Uh, Bumper Pool, the linebacker, uh, you know, highest rated linebacker for Arkansas, uh, was uh, flagged for targeting and, and ejected last week. So he's actually going to be out the first half uh, against Texas. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's a situation where I think, it's it's reasonable to expect Arkansas to be able to play with Texas. People are skeptical of Texas. They do have a first year head coach. They have underperformed in you know years past. I, I just I just don't see it. And and I I've been wrong plenty before, but this is one that I I think we absolutely are on the right side. And and yeah, there are scenarios where Arkansas keeps it close. You know maybe they play a real, you know, style of play or, or, you know, have a game plan set up to try to limit Texas's projections or projections, uh, possessions to, uh, you know, kind of, of uh, defensively, they, they got some real stars. Jalen Catalan is one of my favorite players. He had a, an interception last week that helped set up, a, a, you know, real easy score. Grant Morgan is, was an all SEC linebacker, even though he's a former unrated player, has just been incredibly productive. Uh, that defensive line is improved because they went through and, and got guys uh, from the transfer portal from a unit that, that really, really struggled in 2020. But man, I just think Texas is the better team. Now, I know this game is in Fayetteville. That's certainly going to be a little bit of a factor, but we, we have Texas favored by two touchdowns. You know, and, and that includes uh, home field advantage. That includes maybe a not 100% Bijan Robinson. Man, I, I just I just think Texas is going to win this game by double digits. Yeah, I mean, uh, I have that feeling too, but I had that feeling against Maryland before, you know. Uh, so sure, I just sure. – and that that's what this game feels like. It's an early season game on the road, you know. I mean, Maryland beat. Texas in Texas too, but um, you know, that that's just kind of what this game feels like. So if Steve Sarkeesian wants to start to prove people wrong and earn his weight here, he will go on the road and beat a tough sec team in Arkansas. So uh, it, it's one of those games where uh, I, I think, you know, look, the public betting is overwhelmingly on Texas. So I think most people have that. Feeling. That, may, that makes me nervous. Yeah. Makes me nervous. I mean, 
Yeah, and and I understand fade the public and all that stuff, but sometimes public is just right. You know what I mean? Like the odds makers get it wrong, and and that's what this feels like. But you never know with the Longhorns because all of a sudden they could quit tackling, uh, and like you said, there are some really good playmakers on the Arkansas offense specifically. So um, we'll see. Uh, let's hear what Xavier has to say about my Longhorns. Yeah, for Arkansas versus Texas, I think this is going to be a game that may be closer than I think a lot of people uh, think is going to happen this week. I'll, I'll lead with that. And that's because I think last week we saw an Arkansas team that, once again, you know, and as I talked about earlier, got to be able to be balanced. Um, you know, funny enough, Arkansas and Texas kind of both won in the same kind of way, uh, kind of leaving it to the second half before finally, you know, blowing uh, the the other team out. Um, it literally almost finishing an identical scores. Arkansas winning over Rice 38-17, and obviously Texas beating Louisiana 38-18. Literally almost identical scores, and kind of played out the exact same way uh, with second half performances leading both teams to their ultimate victories. Um, and when you look at Arkansas last week, I think what you obviously have to see is the fact that, you know. Running the football is going to be their MO this year. Running for over 250 yards uh, on the ground. You know, they, they got the ball to a lot of their, their running backs. Sam Pittman and company are going to play a physical downhill type style with a game manager at quarterback. You know, KJ Jefferson with very game manager X numbers 12 of 21, 128, one touchdown, one INT. Very game manager like. Uh, but Traylon Smith. 102 yards, one touchdown. KJ Jefferson. Uh, obviously, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's very easy to, you know have a great running attack when you have a great running quarterback nine carries eight nine yards two touchdowns so Raheem Sanders even tacked in 44 yards of his own on seven carries so when you have this kind of dynamic running attack that Arkansas does that's what they're really going to try to do against Texas they're going to try to control time of possession make Texas feel pressure just by having the you know just by not having the ball and feeling like they have to score every drive similarly to what I always talk about with Army or Navy when they run that triple option and they're running it successfully as an all as an opposing offense you will really feel stressed to have to score every possession because you don't know when you're going to get the ball back because of the fact that they're going to run the ball and try to run the air out of it um, and, and it kind of it, it, it forces you as an offense to feel a need to score because if you don't it may be six, seven minutes before you get the ball back if their offense is clicking. Um, when you talk about Arkansas last week, I think that that's really where I, I think they're going to try to hang their hat on against Texas this week. Um, I think the game will be closer. I still think I think Texas will win uh, this week. Obviously, I think it helps a ton that this game is at Arkansas, at Razorback Stadium. Uh, not only from a perspective of Arkansas, obviously having that continuity and having that ability to play in front of their home fans for a big game, but also with Hudson Card, this is really his first big test. I know last week he played a ranked team in Louisiana, uh, but he was able to play them at home, and, and you saw a little bit of that home atmosphere be able to get to a Louisiana team that for the most part, it's pretty senior-laden. Uh, but even then, I, it looked they looked shaky uh, defensively. I mean, a couple of busted coverages here and there. Maybe that's due to the fact that they couldn't hear one another. Um, I remember in particular a touchdown that B. John Robinson had in the backfield. Both corners went with the tight end, and they left him wide open. Now, necessarily, was that necessarily due to a busted coverage just because of scheme, or was that due to crowd noise in the atmosphere? Who's to know? Uh, but I do think that with this game being in Razorback Stadium, it's definitely a plus for Arkansas going into this week. And this will really be Hudson Card's first big road, first road test of his career. And let's see how he manages it. Last week, he did really well as I move on to Texas. Uh, you know, they looked really good offensively. Um, I think that they looked very, very, very good. Obviously, B. John Robinson being everything as advertised, uh, as the smooth, you know, 
running back in which he is. Also an option out of the out of uh, out of the slot, obviously, and out of the backfield as a receiver, uh, attacking in a hundred and you know seventy plus total yards last week also two touchdowns one through the air and one on the ground doing it pretty much everything you know obviously you throw in Jordan Winnington as well who had a really good night you know seven receptions 113 yards and one touchdown and what I really loved a lot about Hudson Card last week is that he picked and chose when he was going to run and when he was going to pass uh, he and he looked very poised at the very end of the day, and and that's what I think is the biggest takeaway for me from that game. Yeah, he's young. Yes, he's gonna make mistakes, but he didn't make a ton of them in this game. And I think a, a very optimistic, or excuse me, opportunistic Louisiana defense would have looked for that it coming into this game or coming into last week's game was. They were expecting this guy to make some mistakes. You know, they tried to confuse him with some coverages. And, and when you could tell when he didn't know what to do from a passing standpoint, he would use his legs. You know, a couple of, you know, greedy runs on third down to, to keep the drive moving. And I think that was a very, you know, that was a big plus for Texas last year week that I think could be a plus down the stretch is his ability to run when he does not know necessarily what to do and or when the play just has breaking down and he needs or broken down excuse me and he needs to be able to use his legs uh from a defensive perspective I think Louis I think uh, Texas looked okay uh I think that they you know their offense was so explosive that they kind of forced Louisiana to get out of their game a little bit and if you can force Louisiana to pass the ball around the yard I think that's where that's exactly where you want to have them uh I think Texas played a little bit more physical that was obviously a, a positive and to Scott they finally t- looked like they were tackling better uh last week so th- some positives to definitely take away from Texas's defense going into this game against Arkansas I do have Texas winning like I said I think the game will be a little bit closer one with it being you know Hudson Card's first real road test I think that that you know I think that that lends some type of credence to possibly him showing you know so, some freshman tendencies Maybe this is the week that he decides to force it. Maybe he feels like he's gotten over his first hump. Or, you know, maybe he looks at this game and overlooks it a bit. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if he were to overlook an Arkansas versus overlooking a ranked G5 opponent uh, in the first week of the season. So I think, like I said, Texas wins this ball game. But don't be surprised if this game, you know, is, is rather close going into halftime and it takes for a second half performance from Texas for them to finally show their dominance and ultimately win this game by a, a, a two touchdowns or more. All right, let's uh, go over to the next game here, Nick. And it is a very interesting one uh, sec battle here, Missouri at Kentucky. Kentucky is a five point favorite. The over under is 56 and a half. You've said we're Kentucky people now on this podcast. So I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this game. Yeah, after we were pretty anti-Kentucky for all of uh, 2020, uh, and I, I will point out, rightfully so, I think, we, we did a pretty good job of, of projecting Kentucky uh, last year. We are now pro-Kentucky, and, and they looked really great in week one, and, and it was, you know, Similar conversation to what we said about Tennessee against Bowling Green and Pitt against UMass. I mean, they played one of the worst FBS teams in the country in ULM. Uh, but we saw some signs we wanted to see. We, we saw the new offense. We saw the new quarterback. We saw you know the, the new star wide receiver. And it all looked great. Kentucky stretched the field. Uh, Wondell Robinson had a big first game. Josh Ali, uh, you know, was, was utilized to, to his potential that, that uh, you know, we've seen flashes, but just haven't, they've been in such a run heavy offense that he just hasn't been able to, to put up numbers. 
but yet Christopher Rodriguez still looked good as, as the uh, number one running back and, and uh, had a, had a big game there, but will Levis uh, big arm athletic can stretch the field first time as a, a full-time starter, uh, but came in, won the job quickly. And in the, the first game, you know, looks like everything he was advertised to be. The new offense looks everything that you could hope for, that they are attacking down the field, taking advantage of some talented receivers, but they're also, you know, they're able to run with Rodriguez, who I think is one of the best running backs uh, in the country. So that was a, a great, great sign. Um, defensively, you know, I don't think we learned a lot. The numbers were great, but the, you know, this is a relatively inexperienced defense. Uh, they rank actually 118th in returning defensive production, according to our calculations. I'm not sure exactly where they are in, in uh, Bill Connolly's, but, uh, you know, we think they're one of the you know, 12 uh, least experienced or, or at least returning the lowest amount of uh, production defensively. That wasn't tested against ULM, who was just at a, a significant, significant uh, disadvantage as far as talent went last week but uh you know i we've we've seen kentucky in the past play solid defense year in and year out so while they might not be able to you know continue at the play if they ranked fourth in defensive team performance in the in first week number one against the run uh you know i still think this could be a top 25 type defense missouri played a a not the best uh, non-conference opponent. I mean, Central Michigan, you know, they were a double-digit favorite. We thought Central Michigan would be able to hang within 10. And again, oddly enough, we had the, the exact uh, projected final score. Uh, but Missouri was a little slower out of the gate. Probably should have controlled the game a little bit more, not to the extent that Kentucky was able to do against ULM, but uh, this game, you know, it looked like they missed some opportunities to really blow out Central Michigan. Connor Bazelak is a, a solid quarterback, was able to get a, a full year as a starter under his belt last year, looks to you know take a big step forward this season. I think he's capable of that. Tyler Beatty at running back had a huge game and, and really was what everybody I think was hoping for at that position. We talked a little bit on, on uh, the ITL CFF show that he was uh, kind of a late riser in a lot of people's eyes. And man, he looked so good uh, on, on Saturday running and as a receiver, which he's always been a, a productive receiver. Um, but boy, he, he, you know, he looks like an all SEC type running back after one week. We'll see what he looks like against a better defense. But, um, you know, he really helped carry the load last week. We'll see if the passing game can take a, a, another step. I want to see if Mookie Cooper is is fully healthy and ready co to contribute. He's the receiver I'm most excited to see uh, from Missouri this year, although Kiki Chisholm has a lot of uh, real potential as well. Defensively, you know, they, they struggled last week, 82nd in defensive team performance, 108th against the run. So they're going to definitely need to tighten that up because even though Kentucky – uh, did a much improved job throwing the football last week. I still think they're a run-first offense, and I think they're going to want to lean on Christopher Rodriguez at times uh, and might you know, have to do that to, to win this game. So that front seven uh, for Missouri is, is going to have to improve a little bit. But Blaze Aldridge, the transfer from Rice at linebacker, 
was all over the place, looked great. Um, you know, the, the uh, defensive backfield has uh, some, some coming together to do, I think, with the new uh, corners there and, and the Caleb Evans and, and Ollie Green who have been, uh, you know, pushing for, for starting roles with the guys that they were, uh, you know, brought in to challenge. So they're, they're, the depth chart has a, a little uh, shaking out, I think, to do on the defensive side of the ball for Missouri. But I was, I was impressed with the running game. And, and even though it was, uh, you know, they didn't blow out Central Michigan, I thought that the missed opportunities that they had maybe to, to put up a bigger uh, difference in, in, in that final score are things that aren't going to be too difficult to overcome. I think they're things that they can improve upon moving forward. But those those early numbers uh, for Kentucky were impressive, and so they got a bump in team performance. Uh, they were much more impressive statistically in, in sort of the advanced box score, so their team performance uh, is, is much, much higher than Missouri's was in last week. We talked about that still only 1% of our projection, but – we're also a little higher on Kentucky than we were last year, and, and they've moved into our top 25 in our power ratings. So we see this as, as closer to a uh, Kentucky as a double-digit favorite than uh, a you know under-a-touchdown favorite. Uh, we have the projected final score again. Uh, as the, And oddly enough, this is actually one that we're under. I, I was surprised that this uh, – that this uh, total was listed at 56 and a half. I know Kentucky showed some promise on offense, but usually when these two teams get together, you know, I, th- I think defense first. So, so I know they, they both have some real promise on offense, but I was a little surprised to see this as, as uh, 56 and a half and not closer to 50, but you know, we're, we're under on this one. Final score predict uh, prediction of Kentucky 32, Missouri 21. And maybe we should be, you know, uh, uh, Kentucky minus seven, minus eight, something like that. That that probably feels a little more right than eleven. Uh, but again, you know, Kentucky is is impressive, and and we're we're higher on Kentucky, especially compared to last year uh, at, at this point. So I, I again, you know, feel feel decent about being on this side. I, I don't see it as a huge huge edge, but I'm glad we're on Kentucky this week. Let's hear what Xavier has to say about this one. Yes, Scott, so when we talk about Missouri versus Kentucky this week, I'm really, really, really excited to see the matchups between two quarterbacks and Connor Basilek and Will Levis. Both of them had really pretty, yeah, really good outings. For, for Kentucky, Will Levis had a really, really good outing. You know, 18 of 26, 367 yards, four touchdowns, and a one pick. You really haven't seen an offense this explosive from Kentucky in a very long time, especially being led at the quarterback position. I mean, this was obviously a team that a couple years ago relied on a quarterback, well, a receiver turned quarterback in Lynn Bowden just to keep the offense afloat for the entire season. So to see them now have a quarterback a, a an out and out guy after you know years uh, of you know speculative quarterback play when we really didn't know what we we're going to get out of it year in and year out I think this is a huge boost for Kentucky uh it's funny I was talking about a friend talking about it with a friend earlier this weekend about how Kentucky's offense looked explosive and I don't think I'd be able to 
been able to see that say that about a Kentucky offense in a very long time. But Mark Stoops continues to get it done with that team. Um, every year he continues to build and, uh, and expound upon a Kentucky team that is definitely hitting heights that I don't think a lot of people would have seen four or five years ago. Uh, for me, you got to think at this point, Mark Stoops is a guy that should be on some coaching radars for some bigger jobs. Um, I'm, I'm looking at you, Florida State. I'm looking at you, you know, possibly at Texas. Obviously, they, they just got Sark, but if Sark were not to work out, definitely looking at a Michigan if they're looking to go for somebody who I think would build a program from the ground up um, or has the ability to build a program from the ground up and ability to turn your program into a winner, which is what he's done with Kentucky. On top of that, when you look at Will Le- uh, Levis's game last week, you have to look at Chris Rodriguez and obviously my favorite name in college football, Cavassier Smoke, and that backfield tandem, you know, rushing for over 150 yards. Um... And really just the balance that you really looked at from that team. Obviously, they were playing ULM, so you don't take too much from that game as far as, you know, as a grand scheme of things for the entire season. But it's also a really big positive. When you have teams like Kentucky, and we talk about, and I'll talk about Missouri in a second, even these games against more of your lesser teams in college football are still big to make it look pretty, right? On In Kentucky's case, they made it look very pretty, winning by 35, holding Louisiana Monroe to only scores in the first quarter and the fourth quarter, looking really good from that perspective. That is a pretty win for them, you know. On the opposite end, and I'll get to Missouri now, you know, they struggled against Central Michigan. Now, obviously, Central Michigan, and I think everybody would say this is a better team than... Um, than who Kentucky played in, U, uh, in Louisiana Monroe. But, you know, I, I still think that... You know, with Missouri struggling a little bit more, uh, Connor Basilek had a pretty decent uh, game with, you know, 21 of 32, 257, and two touchdowns. You really felt like he still, you know, the leash was still a little bit tighter than it has been, or, or you know, still as tight as it was last season down the stretch, you know, where they really focused on making sure that he didn't have to pass, you know, 40 times a game for them to win a ball game, kind of what they had to do earlier in the year, especially I remember that LSU game in particular where the offense was looking like it fired on all cylinders, um, you know, but... It's a good thing when you have the balance of a Tyler Beatty uh, when you're rushing for 200 yards. You know, th- th- at that point, I don't, I, don't, I don't see any problem with it, right? You know, you don't really don't see any frustration with balance when you're able to run for 200 yards, averaging 8 yards a carry, 25 carries total, and he a- added a touchdown along with Elijah Young, who also averaged, who also added in a touchdown of his own. Uh, and, you know, in this game on the score, 34-24, you know, Missouri handled its business. Central Michigan is a team that I think, you know, when we had our MAC uh, episode, go take a look at that if you have not. Go take a listen of all of our previews if you haven't. I know we're a week into college football, technically two after week zero. But go ahead and look at our, our, our team previews uh, before the year started to kind of give you guys an idea of what we're looking for uh, in these earlier matchups uh, to take away from. Uh, so, you know, we talked about Central Michigan being a team that we thought could be pretty competitive throughout the MAC this year. And so this was a really good test for Missouri, I think, game one. Uh, coming into a year where you expect Connor Bays like that to take that next step if Missouri is going to compete anywhere near in the SEC East. And in a year where, you know, you know, going back to Kentucky a little bit, you probably felt like Kentucky was going to have a little bit down, you know, a, of a down year. Um, you know, I, I know Nick, you know, is very positive about Kentucky this year as opposed to last year. But the one thing I will say, it was a positive to see them run the ball as well as they did because of the fact that they did lose a lot of offensive talent uh, on the offensive line last year that went in, ended up going to the draft. I mean, PFF had them as, ranked as one of the top 15 uh, offensive lines in the country going into last season, and they lost, I think, three of those returning starters, two or three of those returning starters to the NFL. So it's good to see that. Obviously, one of our favorite guys in college football for Kentucky last last week had a great game in Wandale Robinson. He looked just 
just as explosive as he did um, in years prior. Um, so that that was a huge boost for them. Him and Josh Ali is going to be one of the you know one of the, a really good tandem for Kentucky this year. And you really just feel like Kentucky is just a balanced team. And you really feel like that's and that's why I think that going into this game against Missouri, I think I'm going to pick Kentucky. Uh, you know, you look at it also. Missouri's defense was pretty susceptible to the run against Central Michigan, with you know them you know rushing for almost 200 yards as a team. And more importantly, Central Michigan didn't have to necessarily grind it out. These guys were averaging seven, eight yards a carry, which just shows me at that point that, you know, really Missouri just had a, a tough time of it to be able to stop them uh, up front. And I think Kentucky's going to really use that to its advantage, get Chris Rodriguez the ball, and see what he can do in between the tackles. And that's why I like Kentucky. Um, you know, also it's at home, so I don't feel like Will, uh, Will Levis is going to have an issue necessarily with maybe the road environment of the SEC. Uh, I think he'll be perfectly fine playing a Another home game in which they played last week. And as we saw this past week, like in the game uh, with Florida State against Notre Dame, the crowd matters again. You know, uh, obviously, you know, we didn't get to see how much it mattered last season with them having not every team having capacity crowds and, and a lot of percentage crowds. But this week and, and, and last week in particular in week one, you saw how much the crowd mattered. And, you know, and I think the crowd all year is going to play a huge part, especially for kids who did not play with the crowd last year in their first season in college football or quarterbacks who you know were starters who weren't starters last year and are starters this year DJ Uangalele in particular I felt was it was a little bit more shaky possibly because of the crowd uh in Charlotte this week which was surprisingly closer to 50-50 than I thought it would be uh but I digress I think Kentucky wins this ball game I, I think they I think they win this ball game pretty handedly I, I would give them a you know a 28-14 kind of win you know I think you know, Missouri will hang around for maybe a half, maybe even have it close going to the fourth quarter. But I think Kentucky just has a little bit too much offensive talent, and their defense looked a little bit better. Once again, that was against Louisiana Monroe, but looked a little bit better than uh, Missouri's did last week. I got Kentucky in this one, and I think they'll, they'll win this one comfortably. All right, the last game we picked here, Nick, is Oregon at Ohio State. Ohio State is a 14.5-point favorite. The over-under is 63.5. Uh, kind of interesting since they didn't perform well against Minnesota, but uh, Oregon is probably going to be down one of their better players. Yeah, and and this was a, a late ad. I know when we were texting back and forth, you and me and Xavier about the games we we're going to do this week. Uh, I guess we just <laughs> forgot Oregon at or at Ohio State, so I don't think you have audio for, from him on this one. But uh, figured we we needed to touch on it. And last week we did sort of a lightning round because there were so many good games this year or this week. I don't know that we're going to need to do that necessarily, but thought we needed to, to touch on Oregon uh, and Ohio State. Thibodeau, you know, ankle injuries are are, are tricky. Uh, hamstrings are always something I pay attention to. Ankles as well, because even though, you know, it, it might not seem that serious, like, oh, it's just a sprained ankle, probably be able to, to walk it off man, you know, sprained ankles hurt. And, and if his was more than just a sprain and, and that replay of him getting rolled up uh, at the end of a play was kind of painful to watch, you know, he, he might be able to tough it out and play, but I think he's going to be slowed down a bit and I'm not sure he's going to be a, this is me as a, you know, obviously a doctor uh, watching the, the replay from. Uh, at least at a holiday and express last night. Uh, right, or whatever. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you see the behind me, the hotel art. But, uh, you know, I, I, I just get the feeling. I think we might see Thibodeau, 
but I don't think he's going to be anywhere close to 100%. Uh, so maybe he'll be able to come in, make a big impact on a couple of third down plays. That's where, you know, that's where Oregon really would need him the most. Uh, but Oregon struggled with, with Fresno State last week, jumped out to a good start. Uh, but, you know, they, they kind of took the foot off the gas or, or uh, let Fresno State get back in it and, and made, made it a game. And Fresno State is a strong, you know, top two or three team in the Mountain West, we think. Uh, but that was a game Oregon should have won more convincingly. I know there are some folks concerned. Is Anthony Brown really the, uh, the answer at quarterback? Um, they, uh, we talked last week or, or, uh, at other times in the past about how Oregon has inserted a couple of true freshmen into their wide receiver depth chart, including, uh, listing, uh, Troy Franklin as a starter prior to last week. He didn't make an impact, only played like a dozen snaps or so. So it, it's, it's a little bit. Uh, curious, and and you wonder, okay, Oregon is a team a lot of people are really high on as a Pac-12 favorite type team. We are lower on Oregon than some. They're 20th in our power ratings, and, and that's not a big drop by any stretch uh, compared to this time last week. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, at least right now, not on the same level as Ohio State. And Ohio State struggled to separate from Minnesota last week. They did end up uh, covering what we had, 13 and a half. A lot of people had pushed it at 14. Uh, and C.J. Stroud was a little shaky in the first half as a, a first-time starter. Uh, but, man, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson look like two of the very best receivers in college football. Uh, the defense struggled but could make big plays. And we saw Haskell Garrett with a, uh, you know, Fumble return for a touchdown. We saw uh, who who was it that caused it? It was um, uh, Zach Harrison, right? Who, who caused that uh, sack fumble? The secondary is a concern. They started a true freshman at corner in Denzel Burke. Uh, seven Seven Banks was not uh, able to play. They've also had Josh Proctor uh, starting safety go down with a shoulder injury. Both of those guys last I heard we haven't had a, a big update from ryan day but they sound questionable early in the week and and you know minnesota attacked burks often uh you know daniel wright had a, a big uh play against burks i believe um who's who's the other guy jackson uh yeah daniel jackson dylan wright and daniel jackson had both had uh some impressive catches against burks but they were they were going after so Oregon, I'm sure, will try to do the same if Burke is uh, the starter again, if Banks can't go or, or uh, you know, what have you, if he's just in, in that starting lineup or on the field a lot. So he, he certainly wasn't, you know, abused. They didn't, they didn't uh, just completely dominate against Burke. But, um, you know, true freshmen don't start at Ohio State unless they're pretty close to elite. Uh, but, you know, still – true freshman starter at corner, perhaps Oregon is, is a little more talented at the receiver position than Minnesota. Um, you know, that that's at least something to watch. But uh, Oregon is also shorthanded in the secondary. They had two projected starters suspended uh, prior to last week. I, I would not expect they'll be back because I know they've got some legal issues to, to deal with. Um, and with Thibodeau, at least I think going to be limited – 
Uh, I, I'm a little worried that Oregon is going to get a, a consistent pass rush against what is one of the best offensive lines in the country. And, and Ohio State did uh, have to play last week without Harry Miller, their starting center. So I'm, I'm not sure if he's going to be back this week. Again, I think Ryan Day will update uh, the injury situation late in the week. Uh, but Ohio State is, is you know, seven, eight, nine deep at, at the offensive line. Uh, and I, I think they're going to be okay there. So I think they're going to win the line of scrimmage from a pass rush standpoint. Uh, we saw, you know, Mayan Williams have break a big run. We saw Trayvon Henderson uh, with a catch and run for a touchdown last week. Master Teague returning leading rusher. So they are deep at the running back position. And if, if Oregon is, is, you know, banged up in, in that uh, front four, I, th I think that's an edge to Ohio State as well. So I, I you know, uh, the, the three prediction models, it's not a surprise that Oregon keeps it pretty close in the talent edge. We do have Ohio State favorite as uh, about six and a half in talent edge, and we do have Ohio State as a slight favorite in the stats only model by less than two points. But throwing everything in, again, in that, that official uh, prediction, we do have Ohio State covering, very similar to what we had last week against Minnesota. We have it at 15 now. Um, and, uh, you know, that that if Thibodeau is, is full strength, that would be very close uh, to the, um, you know, official uh, point spread that, that we use, the Vegas Insider consensus, uh, which is currently 14 and a half. It'd be very, very close if Thibodeau is full strength. But still, I, I think I'd rather be in Ohio State, and, and we are. We expect a final score of 38-23. Of That's a rare under for us this week, under the 63-and-a-half. But, uh, but we think Ohio State's got, got what it takes to cover. All right. Well, like you said, no Xavier comments on that one because we had forgot to put it on the sheet, even though it's one of the biggest games. <laughs> but we each picked two, and just need, none of us picked that. That's all. So, uh, but let's go and, uh, you know, tell us, uh, the wrong team favorites and the all three agrees and all that good stuff, Nick. Yeah. So at the, at the end of each show, we try to, to give a little insight on, on what have been our best, uh, picks, uh, over the last year. Plus when all three of those projection models line up, uh, we've had some, some real solid success. We're off to a good start six and four last week, six and five, uh, this year. Uh, but, Thursday night or Friday night it is uh, Utah plus 26. We're still a little lower on Utah than some, and that's a lot of points. So uh, I know that Deion Hankins is, is banged up, but they've been able to run the football early against a couple of weak opponents, but think that they'll be able to stay within three touchdowns there. South Carolina and East Carolina is a weird one. When we, when we listed it, it was a pick them. And right now it's actually East Carolina favored by two. A lot of people, including some some uh, sharp folks out there, um, are on East Carolina. We're on East Carolina against App State, and are not, you know, say they're not fooled by South Carolina. I get that. They had a great week one against a, an FCS opponent, won forty-five to nothing, something like that, with a GA at quarterback. Uh, you know, fun story. Uh, but our our numbers our talent numbers especially are just so heavy in south carolina's favor sounds like kevin harris is back full speed think they'll be able to run the ball uh and 
you know, East Carolina, I think, has improved, but I just don't think they're that great. So we're on South Carolina to win outright and and certainly uh, would be on them to, to uh, you know, cover the, the two. So we'll take that a little extra cushion uh, if we can get it. But we're on South Carolina there. One that is an all three agree and wrong team favored. This is the very same situation we were on last week with Michigan State plus three, and that worked out. This week I am less confident. But we're on Syracuse plus two and a half. Syracuse looked good, especially on defense against uh, Ohio last week. Won 29 to nine in a game that we had Ohio favored pretty, pretty big. Uh, but Rutgers looked really good. And I know it was Temple who looked really bad. Uh, but I think Rutgers has improved. So I think our um, I think our talent numbers and, and team performance numbers. That's a chicken st- or the egg right there, right? I mean, it is. It is a <laughs> who little looked bad. bad and who looked good. But I was able I was able to get some eyeballs on that game because it was early enough and there weren't a ton of, of noon games on Saturday. And Rutgers looks fast. They look they look aggressive. You know, the defense looks uh, similar to, to App State. It just looks nasty. And I I could be, you know, my eyes could be lying to me and, and it could be sort of a temple factor. Uh but I, I don't know if I believe Syracuse is the better team, even though our numbers say they are. So that one, I, I proceed a little cautiously, uh, but we are on Syracuse to win outright in that one. We mentioned Texas minus six and a half. We miss, miss, mentioned Washington plus six and a half. Uh, one that was really kind of weird to me, FIU, and they are a little propped up because they had a big performance against what might be the worst FCS uh, opponent in uh, Long Island University, so that one's a, a little a little weird. Uh, but all three of our uh, model projections are actually on FIU to win outright, and they're only favored by one over Texas State. So we're on that one. And then in a, a really kind of funny matchup, uh, Vanderbilt on the road against Colorado State, two teams that were beaten badly by FCS opponents. Somebody's got to win. We think Vanderbilt is the more talented team. I know they looked even worse than Colorado State did last week, only put up three points against East Tennessee. Uh, But we think Vanderbilt is going to be able to cover. We do have uh, Colorado State favored, but think that that Vanderbilt can keep it within a touchdown. We also mentioned Arkansas State favored to win outright. That one's a little strange. I, I understand. Uh, might not be willing to go with the money line on that one, but but uh, hopefully that stays within a, a, t- a field goal for us. And then one that that really is kind of odd. Maybe I should have listed this as the confusing one. Uh, when we put it out last night, it was San Diego State plus one and a half at Arizona. That is now a pick'em, but we have uh, San Diego State by favored by more than a touchdown. So Arizona looked improved, uh, much improved. Played, played close with BYU, looked fast. But, you know, San Diego State, and I know they, they struggled with New Mexico State in the first half last week. I, I still think they're the better team, so should win that game outright. All right. Uh, anything else, or is that going to wrap us up? That's going to do it. Uh, last week, uh, well, I'll do the, do the same thing, where I put uh, 100 fake dollars on all, all three agrees, uh, put 100 fake dollars on each wrong team favored, so that doubles up Syracuse like it doubled up Michigan State last week. Uh, ended up plus – 400 uh last week which yeah. got a little got a little benefit because both you and i were on utsa uh to upset illinois outright got that at yeah. plus one 
165. So uh, off to a good start. Hopefully we'll be able to keep it up next week. But, yeah, I'll put put 100 each on all those uh, all three agrees and, and wrong team favorite as well. And uh, we're predicting, uh, you know, th- this might be the worst odds of anything we can predict, but we're predicting that Xavier will be back next week. Uh, we'll see. We've had uh, some scheduling issues. Ho- yeah. Hopefully we'll be able to get back uh, all together uh, next week. I, I hate that that we weren't able to to work it out to all three uh, be together. But but hopefully, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to, to hearing what he has to say. And, and yeah, we'll, we'll uh, hopefully get, get all back together real soon. Exactly. And in the meantime, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Good luck, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.